0: And so this morning, um, the idea of, um, you know, this panel style of teaching is, is also, um, so that we would continue this, this full participation experience. So when we say participation, we're not just talking about participation from our panel members, as fantastic as they are. Um, but also there's an opportunity for participation from all of you. Um, so, um, for those who were here about three weeks ago, um, we started, Um, continuing this, we started off with this theme of being conformed to his image. And we looked at Luke chapter 14, 25 to 35. Um, and our panel shared we had some questions. We had some good dialogue. Um, and we want to facilitate that environment again here this morning. So there might be some things that you hear. Um, that you may not have heard before, some questions that you have, some things that spark something in you, Um, and if that is the case, um, we want this to be a a platform for, for, um, you know, to share um, from our panel, but also for you guys to be able to ask questions, so we'll have an opportunity for that at the end. Is that cool? All right, so feel free to be engaged, feel free to voice your engagement if you like something, you're welcome to say, if you dislike something, you can say, <laughs> we're all right with that. <laughs> um, but for, the, for a start, uh, turn your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 14, and that's where we're going to camp this morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Sam, um, and to my left here we have Mel and Chris. And uh, hopefully we are not unfamiliar faces unless you're new here. Alright, so three weeks ago we had a look at this awesome passage in Luke chapter 14. In my Bible it's called Discipleship Tested. And seeing as we only got to part A of the first verse of about ten verses, (laughs) we're going to be continuing with the same passage because there's so much in here that speaks um, of God's eternal purpose and what um, a life looks like. When, when you see his purpose and you start to live for it, um, and so um, we're going to start from verse 25, um, discipleship tested. Now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while he, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his possessions. Therefore, so is good... But if even salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for soil or for, man- or for the manure pile and is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Mm, that's exactly right. Powerful passage, a eh? Confronting passage. And last week, or sorry, three weeks ago, we, we started to work our way through this passage, looking at the first verse and then the first part of the second verse. And the, the, the key theme we talked about was, th- does Jesus really mean we must hate our, our brothers and sisters, our mother, even our wife? Is that not a bit intense over the top? Or is Jesus onto something that really is for us? So we looked at this word hate, and um, we talked about this hate being, you know, in in my Bible, it says um, in the footnote, uh, you know, in comparison, to detest in comparison for our love for him. So Jesus here is setting himself apart, and he's wanting to set us apart to wholehearted devotion to him above any other person, above any other position, We use the typology of marriage and said actually in a marriage, it's completely reasonable and normal to be set apart, wholeheartedly devoted to one bride or to one husband. And that in that context, it's entirely normal to be set apart, um, to have devotion for one person as opposed to any other man or woman. And we, we talked about God's eternal purpose. And so when we see what his purpose is for us as his body, to see that the, that the scriptures themselves are set in this macro context, a bride being made ready for her bridegroom, all of a sudden these scriptures that once seemed harsh make, start to make sense when they're read in that context, that we're to be set apart um, as a people of his own possession. And so we're going to start from verse 26 this morning um, and continue working our way through this powerful passage. So we've got here in verse 26, "'If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple.'" Um, Chris, since you're making your first, uh, appearance to the panel on a Sunday morning, do you want to kick us off, um, with, um, any insights into verse 26?
1: Thanks, Sam. Um, yeah, that's a, it, it's a pretty, pretty daunting passage to read. Uh, it's a, it's a high call and, you know, I, I wasn't here the Sunday that the discussion three weeks ago, but I've listened to it and, you know, I can see how hate could be a word that people would get hung up on, but, it's in the. It's coming out of Christ's words, right? And you got it. It's to, in the Bible, right? It's in the Bible. You know, <laughs> can run away and, from it. And I and I love it that you've put it in a, in a context. Love less, or in comparison to, because it's it's such a high call. And realistically, you know, one of the um, one of the comparison sort of passages that I looked at was where Jesus says, "You can't serve two masters. You can't love God." and the riches of the world, because you will love one and hate the other. And I just was like, it's it's the same thing. He's going, you can't have two masters, I'm calling you to one. And that one looks like him as the absolute, undeniable first place, because it can't be any other way. This life has to come from the head down. and And if we read the word hate, we'll trip over it. But if we realize that this same Christ that's calling us into this was the greatest demonstration of love and leads us to be this living demonstration of the greatest love, we can't hear hate. So, yeah. And, and it's not just about the, the, the father, the, the mother, the sister, the brother, the the children it's actually our own lives as well and so he says actually every single thing has to be put on the altar here because if it's any one other thing that rises above it becomes an idol and then everything's out of out of divine order that's right
0: absolutely and i think that's that's he, jesus makes a deliberate point in saying that A eh? you know he, he lists these close family relationships and then he says oh And even his own life, even your own life, you know. And to me that's, that's the root of this thing, right? And that loving these other relationships more is really just an expression of something that lies here, you know. Because imagine if you can think of even, what if, what if one of these relationships was like the most holy spiritual person you could ever imagine, you know? Just say like the apostle Paul. Now, obviously, he didn't didn't have kids and he didn't have some of these relationships here, but the fact that Jesus says, um, you know, that even His own life means that it actually just even if it was this person was the perfect holy person, that you and your heart could even idolize them in a way that would be unhealthy and inappropriate, mm. because the ultimate root of it is actually not them. It's you, you know, and that's what the gospel does. It puts the mirror up to your own heart and says that actually the, 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 the issue here is not this person and this person. It's not your wife and it's not certainly not your kids. The root of the issue here is you and your heart. And Jesus is coming with the remedy, you know, and he's saying, I've got so much more for you. I've got a bigger plan and purpose for you than for you to be consumed in these other relationships, as good and right and healthy as they might be, you know. Because I think it's it's very clear that Jesus he, he doesn't say, look, if you you know, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate gay marriage, euthanasia, you know, all of these things that often you hear on the news that the church seems to make it about. He says if you don't hate the good things, the right things, the things that God has given, doesn't it say that children are a gift from God? How do you reconcile? He who finds a wife finds a good thing. So what is he saying? (laughs) I'm pretty sure it says who who finds a husband. (laughs) But you can see here the paradox that if you take the word and the, the words and not the word, you're going to get into trouble. If you take the letter of the law and not the heartbeat, of the gospel you're going to miss the point you know it never was about those things it was about wholehearted devotion being set apart to christ name hey? yeah. um, so you can quite quickly see here that really it's not someone else it's a work that he wants to do in you mm. um,
1: this is another passage in um, in John twelve that just for me, kind of expands on that same thing. And it's um, uh, John twelve twenty three says, Now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. Let, this is um, from the Passion Translation, which I'm reading at the moment and loving. Um, Let me make this clear. A single grain of wheat will never be more than a single grain of wheat unless it drops to the ground and dies, because then it sprouts and produces a, grain, a great harvest of wheat, all because one grain died. And then he says this, The person who loves his life and pampers himself will miss true life, but the one who detaches his life from the world and abandons himself to me will find true life and enjoy it forever. If you want to be my disciple, follow me and you will go where I am going, and if you truly follow me as my disciple, the Father will shower his favor upon you. And it's the same thing. He's just—he's continually speaking this message. And, it, and for me, I'm reminded of Proverbs. that says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the way ends in death. And naturally, our life has to be part of everything that's laid down, put on the altar, because we will, in our own selves, always choose something other than what it is that he has, because it has to be his way.
2: There's a saying that says, you know, know that the price of always saying me, me, me is to forget the real you. And when I say the real you, it's the Christ self in you. And I think that's what discipleship is. It's it's losing that old me to find life in Christ. And that the cross and the the gospel is actually the greatest equalizer. And that the cross... Actually, the death to ourselves is if we know that the what the cross actually means for us personally, um, we 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 start to understand the value, and then we ask have to ask the question is the cost worth the value? But it's do we value our salvation? Do we value Christ? on the cross if we we think of Christ with his arms out you know and the the, the word cross also talks about a, being like a stake and it it's the stability this credibility this reliability this sign of you can stake your life on me the truth which is and again, that word truth is the first letter, middle letter, and the last letter of the alphabet, which, which, of the Hebrew alphabet, which talks about Christ being the beginning, the end, and holds everything in between. And so we, we look at the cross, and I, I just felt this morning, we really have to paint the picture and the value of the cross again to understand, because then we go, oh man, it's worth the cost, because him justifying us is the weighing, we see those old weighing scales it's an equal, like he's made us equal, justified just as if I never sinned. But better than that, to live just as he did, and that's the beauty. It's the, the equality, the substance that has been poured into us, and that's the value. It's the value of Christ in us, um, that yeah, it's uh, it makes the cost worth it. That's right. Yeah,
0: and to value the cross as to. Ha- to allow the cross to have its perfect work done in us, right? You know, That he, like Moa said, he's justified us, but now the reality of the cross is that we actually start to live as those who have been dead and have been brought back to life, you know? That what the cross paid for, we now actually live in and live from, that we don't just live having been justified and then life just continues on as normal, you know? Um, but that the but that the cross would go to work within us. And um, like we've like we have on our um, on our screen here, to be conformed to his image is to live from the life that the cross paid for for us, you know, and to choose that life, to be, to choose to be conformed to his image is, is of far greater value than any other earthly natural possession, hey, you know, to be set apart from every human and natural thing and to be joined to him.
2: I think that's why verse 27, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Again, it's like that it's it's losing your life for the cross, to, that the cross would be made a personal demonstration in us. And I was thinking about uh, where Peter, when Jesus says to Peter, um, who do the people say I am? Who do the people say I am? So some say, well, and someone said, some say you're Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist. And then Christ goes, who do you say I am? And this is... This is so big because it's the difference between us knowing our intrinsic worth, our um, inherent value versus the appraisal of man. When we get a house evaluated, like a value appraisal, that is people coming together and developing an opinion on what they think the value of your house is. Right, And so the weighing scales, again, what he's done on the cross, that justification, the fact that he says, I am the truth of who you are, and I am the truth of who the Father is. So in me, you come to know who you truly are. But that's that intrinsic value, that worth versus the appraisals of man. And it's, it's it changes everything because we start living this life of knowing a true and true the true intrinsic worth of Christ in us, and we no longer live for the appraisers' appraisal of man and what man sees from the outside. Whether they're holy, they're good, whatever. It's 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 a different knowing. Um, and again, <laughs> it's the it's co- the the cross. Yeah, it's but it's that value again versus um, what I think even religion can paint a value appraisal of whether you're worth it or not, whether you're doing enough, whether you're practicing enough, whether you're keeping the laws enough, you know, uh, very different.
0: And I think sometimes counting the costs can easily roll off the tongue, you know, but actually in, in the context of the scripture, it's not just about counting the costs. It's actually about counting the value of being in him, you know, and that and seeing what it is that he's called us to and what it is that he's given us, that's empowered us to live out this heavenly and eternal calling. We're actually weighing that as being more important and more precious and more valuable than actually all of these other things, eh, hey? you know. Um, so it can be easy to look at the loss and the lack and the, what you're not going to have, but actually he's saying, look at what I've actually called you to be and given to you. And that's really what, what the gospel is, eh. Hey?
1: Yeah, that's, um, that's such a massive point because I was, just as I was chewing over this, I was thinking it would be easy to, to read this passage and, and read about all the things that you have to do and what it's going to cost you. And yet he's, he's painting a, a picture of what is so much further beyond all of that. And, and it's easy to read the words and not hear the message behind it. He's saying, look, if you want to live In the fullness of this picture, this is what process looks like. And, um, there's a similar example when Jesus was speaking to his disciples and he says, Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't, you you have no life, you can't be my disciple. And it says at that point that many of his disciples walked away. They said, This is a hard saying. Who can, who can bear this? And he turns around to Peter and he's like, What about you? And, and he's like, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life and for me I see in that moment that Peter, even though he had a he was growing in his revelation of who Christ was, he was like I, I see beyond this. This this message is confusing, but I'm seeing beyond to something that's giving me much more than an intellectual understanding. This is nourishing my inner man and, and feeding me and, and leading me into who I am called to be, you know? And so I just, you know, I do want to just emphasize what we've been talking about, about it's easy to look at the cross as absolute death. And yes, <laughs> yes it is, let's not negate that, but it's it doesn't stay there. This is the door, the path. Christ said, I am the way, and he's leading us into this life abundance. That's right, That's
2: right. And, and again, it's like catching this, grasping the fullness of the cross in us personally what it does is actually start stripping us from needing to be anything other than i am found in the great i am it's like i am period i don't have to be i am um i don't know if I was a lawyer, <laughs> or I am, you know, a mother, or I am a wife, or whatever. It's it, it's coming right down, stripped right down to, you know what, I just, I am. I am. In the great I am. And it's, it's a completion in identity.
0: All right, shall we have a look at verse 28? Because I feel like there's some real key things here. It says this, For which of you when he wants to build a tower does not first sit down and calculate the cost, we just talked about that, to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, or who observe it and begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. What king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with twenty thousand, mm. or else while he is away, um, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for peace.
1: Mm. Okay, I've got a couple of thoughts around that. Um, so I have, um, I'm a carpenter. For anyone that doesn't know, or a builder, and um, I've been on a job where we've been halfway through a job and someone ran out of money. And it wasn't a small job, it was a massive job, and it just defied logic. I was working for someone else in those days, um, but it defied logic that the person would get so far into a job that was so large and just be like, "Oh, we're out, we're out of money." And it was like, "How did you How did we get here? Like, how is this even happening because you haven't even got windows in yet? you know like this is this is early days." And yet there it is and everyone just was like, this is out of this world because, you know, I've been building for a, a number of years now and just haven't encountered that very often. It's such an unusual thing. And people were, people were just like, who does that? You know, that was kind of like the, the follow, the, the closure statement. Um, and you know, just going back to 27, because I feel like it ties into that, he says, he says, he who doesn't, Um, pick up who doesn't bear his own cross and come after me so there's a two-fold aspect to that one is picking up your cross and one is coming after him while carrying your cross and Christ, the prototype, the forerunner was the perfect example of that he didn't just say this he literally did this picked up his cross and walked to his own death and I'm like man, this is a big deal and so You know, the house or the building of this house is an example of it's not just about deciding to build a house or entering into the process to build the house. There's a cost throughout the process. And I I feel like there's a couple of things there because, firstly, it just blows my mind that Christ was giving an example of the exact path that he was going to take. In hindsight, every time I've read that, I go, oh yeah, well, he was crucified, and then I'm like, hang on a minute, he hadn't been crucified at that point, he was using it as an example of something that he was yet to go into, but but scripture says that he knew the death that he was going to die, and he was saying to them, this is this is my process, and it's to be your process as well, because I'm the forerunner of this, you need to enter into the same process. Okay. Um, and the other thing that I was just thinking about that, which kind of ties on to that, I was, um, listening to this podcast of a guy who is a, a bar builder. So he goes, it's like DIY rescue kind of thing. He goes into bars that are doing terribly badly and run down and he's got a world of experience behind him and he turns up and he rebuilds the bar with these people that are, that have a failing bar. And he said, it's in America. And he said, some of these people, their bar is, On knocking on death's door pretty much, they're gonna be bankrupt in the next few weeks. And there was this interesting example that he gave where he said he turned up and he saw that this bar was a mess and he said to this, this lady, right or wrong, and you know, you wouldn't necessarily always get away with this, he said, I can fix the bar, but I can't fix this thing about your appearance. This is like a a super harsh statement, right? And, and she was like, whoa, okay, what? (laughs) And it was super rude, let's just call it what it is. But here's a guy who saw something beyond the insult. He said, I need her to realise that the reason that her bar's not working is her. He said, I'm 120 episodes into this show and I've just realised a common thread between every person. Every person is blaming the currency in another country or external circumstances. But the common thread is that every single person in this scenario, they are the problem. And he said, so I had to just hit it at the root, knock her down a few pegs, and have her go, is it me? And he said, and from that process, she was able to not only, he didn't use these words, but it wasn't just about picking up her cross, it was following through the process, where she would actually go, not my way, but your way, I'm going to listen and grow and, and let you lead me where you need to take me to make this thing happen.
0: That's awesome, and I, and I think it's His grace to be able to spell out to us not just the initial, but actually what it is that He's inviting us into big picture. Yeah, eh? yeah. You know, Absolutely. and I think that's why He's saying, "Guys, it's it's to your benefit that I spell out to you right from the get go yeah. that that being my disciple is not just turning up on a Sunday morning." You know, He's saying what what we're about is so much bigger than this. Eh? You know, and I think like. The issue seems to be here is not that they would attempt to build something, it's that they start but can't finish, you know? It's almost, to me the sense is almost like he's saying guys, it's almost better if, if this is, if this discipleship is for you, it's probably better that you don't start. Then you do start, but that you don't complete, you know. So let me tell you what this is actually about. It's not about singing songs. It's not about good sermons. It's not about great music. It's about discipleship. And now, if you guys are all on board with what this is about, big picture, now let's go, you know. And it reminds me of, um, you know, reminds me of um, Ananias and Sapphira and Acts, you know. And here's here's a couple of people who to set the scene the church has just really gotten going you know and the disciples are preaching and there's and there's miracles and there's a there's such a strong sense of god being at work amongst the the church in a really unique way for the first time in all of human history and people are literally selling their properties and giving all of the money from the properties um, and laying it at the apostles feet to support what god was doing on the earth you know and here's this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, and they give, they sell their property and they give the majority of the money and they lay it at the apostles' feet. And Peter confronts them and says, why, essentially say, why have you laid only a portion of the money at the apostles' feet? You've, you've held back some for yourself, you know? And here again, I feel like we see the same theme occurring. Here's someone who is giving a little, but holding something back personally for themselves, you know? And it can be so easy to think, man, wouldn't it be awesome to be part of this church in Acts? But when you see actually the intensity and the fervor and the requirement of these The the consequence for Ananias and Sapphira of giving some but holding some back for themselves was actually physical death. They're literally struck down and physically die in that moment. And so I think it can be easy to think and, and look at it through a romantic lens and saying, following Jesus looks like this. But actually Jesus is saying, no, following me looks like discipleship. It looks like wholeheartedness. It doesn't look like giving some and holding some. It looks like giving and releasing and letting go. And in the letting go of you and your possession and letting go really of yourself, you find life that's a a new life that's found in him. It's the abundant life. It's the life that isn't possessions or um, holding on to what you have. It's this new, brand new, abundant life. It's a new and living way. It's Christ in you. It's being conformed to his image. It's receiving the fullness of Christ within you. And so it's a very different um, gospel than just a partial, or I'll give some but take some back. It's wholehearted, it's full, and because you give full, you receive full.
2: Yeah, again, I think it's the, <clears throat> the task of completing anything with building, or, um, you know, if a king led his army and then comes to find that he has unequal resource or insufficient resource, it's better not to enter into the war, it's better not to enter in to find yourself with insufficient resource. But again, I think it comes back to, is Christ credible? Do we believe he's credible? Because he says that he is from an inexhaustible realm, the riches of Christ. And so we're of another resource. We we have the riches of heaven as a resource. And so but we only if we believe it, if we believe and believe Christ is credible for who He says He is, then we have every resource to be made complete, every resource to, to enter in, and, and I love it because it, you know it, it sort of we have the builder and then we have the king, and it's like we we when we find that Christ is credible, and we trust Him, we trust the cross and and all the resource that the cross provides, we find that we become competent and we become enabled to complete and to take our cross and and follow um, and that and I, I love in verse where it talks about um, with the Kings what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first consider whether he's able to with ten thousand to meet him who comes against him with twenty thousand I love that because here here it is again it it doesn 't come down to numbers. it comes down to weight. the minority. why is it the minority god 's people that that 's why he loves the minority it 's because the minority trusts the weight of him in them compared to the the uh the numbers you know, and I had quite a profound teaching moment the other day. Um, angels came into my room. No, that's not true. I was watching <laughs> Bananas in Pajamas. Um, I, I, and I wish I could stay with Bella, but she had actually left the room at this point, which I'm sure other parents actually know that this happens. That's legit. Um, and I was quite enthralled with, um, excuse me, the storyline. And, um, you know, you've got the bananas, and then you know they've got their good friends, the teddies. And they decide to make these go-karts. And... Um, Eat, so, And then they divided into teams and they decided they were going to sort of race these go-karts. But the three teddies come to this point. They're like, hey, bananas and pajamas, to make it fair, you got to get another person to make it three. And I was like, oh, bananas, don't be deceived by the fuzzy bears. You're heavier than them. If you get another person, it's going to slow you right down. Don't do it. They went and got another person. And this person was scared of speed. Makes no sense. So I at the end I was like, Too bad bananas, like you just you're making bad decisions. But what it came down to for me again, it's like it's the weights, you know, fewer numbers, greater weights versus numbers. <laughs> Quality versus quantity. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, man.
0: Because if Jesus was interested in quantity, he wouldn't be he wouldn't be talking to his disciples like this, say, eh? you know. He, he wouldn't be focused on the quality that he wants to see in them, you know. Otherwise, he, he, you know, he'd be saying, now large crowds, were going along with him. And the story would be very different to talking about, okay, okay hey, guys, this is what true discipleship actually looks like, hey, you know. So there you have it. If you want divine revelation... Turn on bananas and pajamas. (laughs) What time of the day is it on? (laughs) Netflix. Netflix, all right, there you go. Anytime, Anytime, day or night. (laughs) Direct line to heaven. (laughs) No, but it is, you know, like God is, he's not concerned about his own reputation in the way that we are, hey? And building something flashy and big, he's interested in the, the quality of those who are following him, hey? And I find that these verses here are so profound, because eh? like we're saying, there is an element of counting the cost, but ultimately what it is is that we are seeing, if we were to see what the value is and to see what it is that he's called us to, The cost would pale in comparison to the great worth of what it is that he's called us into, you know. Mm -hmm. And the cost would no longer be a cost; it would simply be a releasing of what isn't life and a laying hold of what is life. And I think one of the key things for me in in kind of thinking about this passage um, this week is is seeing. I know Greg wrote in um, in bird's eye view, you know, it's, it's your your view of your finish line that determines how you run. And to me, this passage screams of seeing what it is that we're called to. And when we see that, there's a natural process that takes place of letting go of other things. Eh? Yeah. And I was just thinking about, you know, the typology here is, is someone who starts to build, but then doesn't realize and doesn't fully appreciate what it is that's required of being a, a being a builder or being a disciple, and it made me think of you know if uh, imagine you know we we know of, of sports stars you know being part of say the All Blacks, and the the commitment that's required of being part of the All Blacks is not just a one off it's not just a one off event it's not a nine to five job, it's an absolute lifestyle of devotion where you need to set aside your normal life. Mm and to come and be part of something that's so much bigger and so much more important than the daily grind. Mm. You know, and and so I just imagine thinking, you know, I've been, um, over the last number of months with the um, the COVID crisis, I've been working some big hours and I log my time in lieu, you know, my time that I work outside of nine to five or on the weekends, but imagine being selected for the All Blacks and then the coach comes and says, all right, guys, first game, Saturday, 7.30 p.m., And you say, wait, sorry, that's outside of normal working hours. (laughs) Training. We're training, we're going to start at 6.30am on Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. Oh, sorry, I normally sleep in to 7 o'clock and I get there, can we do 8.30? Oh, actually, we're going to South Africa to play another team. Oh, sorry, um, I've got family commitments, I can't do overnighters. It's absolutely ludicrous to think that if you sign up to some, um, to to this kind of job, that you would have those kind of expectations, right? And yet, is what we're about in following Christ not more not more important than a game? That he says, "I'll read you this the scripture in First Corinthians." He says this, Do do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. Now listen to this. They do it so that they receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore I run in such a way not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. And you see here in saying, you know, those who compete in a game, who compete in the games, exercise discipline in all things. And he says that they do it so that they might receive a perishable wreath, a gold medal that's going to last and be there for a number of years and it's going to pale into the 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 abyss of human history, no one knowing your name, no one knowing your face. And yet he's saying they discipline their body. They are absolutely, completely devoted to their craft. And he's saying, man, look at the devotion of even earthly sports stars. And he's saying... If they do it for something that's perishing, how much more the church who are called to this eternal calling, who are called to something that's bigger than just a game, who are called to to literally sit on Christ's throne and reign with him in the millennial reign and for all eternity. Now, to do this for an earthly wreath, and you discipline yourself, how much more for those who are caught up in something that's heavenly and eternal. And if we were just to have revelation of what his eternal purpose was for us, we wouldn't have those same expectations on God to say that Christianity is a Sunday thing or a Wednesday morning thing. We'd be caught up into something that's so so much bigger, so much holier, so much more precious than just natural, earthly events um, or, or or being part of something that's temporary and, and perishing. Hey, he's called us into something that's bigger. And imagine if, if the scales were torn from our eyes and we saw like the Church of Acts that this thing was so much more valuable than what it is that we were part of. Like the All Blacks, we wouldn't hesitate to make other arrangements for our family. We wouldn't hesitate to get up early in the morning. We wouldn't ask the question, what about my overtime? When you know that this thing that you're about is more than just that kind of contractual relationship, we would know that we're actually joined in a covenant with him, a marriage covenant, that we would forsake everything else based on the absolute value of of knowing Hameim. Yeah,
1: that's, that's why the opening of our eyes is so important, the hearing and the seeing, because he's increasing our sight for what it is that's beyond process so that, you know, and um, I mean, I love it because uh, where we're, we were reading in Luke 14 there at, um, just previously, and I think Greg touched on this the other week, obviously he's um, giving a parable about a guy who threw a feast for a bunch of people, and he's like, come to this feast and he prepares this big feast and everyone's got legitimate excuses based on real world issues or, or choices, but they haven't seen what the feast is. You know, he's calling beyond. Um, and it's such a beautiful picture because he's calling us to a wedding feast. He's like, I'm calling you to this, to this bridal ceremony, this marriage supper, this full covenant where we're one in every aspect of that and, when you have sight for that, you don't go, oh, my, my tractor, I've got a new tractor, or I've got this thing which is so insignificant in comparison. Um, and I, I guess um, an example of that for me in Scripture is uh, the disciples when it's, he's in Gethsemane, Christ's in Gethsemane, and he says to them, watch and pray. And they can't watch and pray. And they're only called to pray for like an hour. You know, and I'm like, man, if you knew what was going on here right now, you would have sold everything to be fully engaged in this moment. But you didn't have sight for what was what was really happening. And Jesus says it; he says, uh, "The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak." So your capacity to enter into this process without me isn't enough. You you actually don't have enough to finish the house.
0: And he doesn't, he doesn't discriminate by saying that's for some and not for others, eh. You know, he says, if anyone comes to me, you know, and in all of these verses he says, there's many who are called, but there's only few who actually decide that they want to enter into this calling, eh, you know. And so the exclusivity is not in the invitation, it's actually in the response, yeah. you know. He's saying that if if anyone comes to me, don't don't write yourself off from this process because his heartbeat is that there would be many that would that would enter in, hey, you know. Yeah. But he says, you know, that there's a there's a many line and then there's a few, there's a few line. Yeah. Be the be the few who enter into this because the reality is that that when many hear. Only few will actually receive that instruction. But why can't we as a body be that few? You know, why can't we collectively enter into that process, receive the work of the cross, count the cost, count the value and follow him? You know, it's absolutely entirely possible. So he's not being exclusive. Actually, it's really, it can be our response to that and writing ourselves out of. His calling that that does it it's not it's not his invitation to us
2: eh? yeah I think I think we actually exclude ourselves yep. by not believing him yep. on his word, and you know it says that the israelites didn't enter in because they didn't believe the word didn't profit them, and that you know that can be the the very same reality for us as a church you know um Train of thought just finished
0: right there, sorry. Yeah, absolutely, and I think you know, God calls this people, the Israelites, at a time in history out of Egypt and into the Promised Land, you know? And he has worked miracles and signs and wonders to to, to bring them out of the, the depth of slavery and into what it is that he has for them, eh? And then here they are in the wilderness. Mana is literally falling from the sky, and yet he has called them as an entire nation. Yet it says in Hebrews that not that they didn't enter into what it is that, I, that, that he had predestined for them and that they were not able to enter, not because they weren't capable enough, weren't good enough, didn't try hard enough, um, but, it, but because they didn't believe that God was faithful to do what he had promised to do and bring them out of and, and bring them into him.
2: And it was already a finished work. It was already set in God's mind of the promised land. Just like the cross is a finished work. Everything he's called us to at this future reality, it is for now because it is a finished work. But it's, do we believe? Do we believe him on his word? Is he credible to us? Can we put full confidence in his stake on the cross?
1: How encouraging that the three guys that he took to Gethsemane with him weren't able to pray. You know, like, they effectively, they, they weren't qualified by their abilities or anything that they did because they completely didn't. Um, you know, I've heard uh, that the difference between the called and the chosen is, yes, Lord, you know. Many are called and few are chosen, and it's not just a one-off, yes, Lord, It's the yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You know, and that was, that was effectively what was required in the process of Peter, for example. Did you pray? No. Are you doing what I told you? No. You're going back to what you know. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know, and he just continued to enter into that process, which for me is uh, the difference between taking up his cross and following, he's like, I'm going to continue to follow. Um, and I was just thinking, as a as a really basic example, you know, you're talking about the All Blacks or um, someone that wants to be really good on the electric guitar. Let's say, which was me as a kid. You know, watched Dire Straits, and I'm like, man, I want to be that guy. And next week uh, <laughs> didn't get there. You know what I mean? Because I, I, no I faith, eh? <laughs> Stage next week. <laughs> yeah. Um and so I you know, there wasn't the continual yes to the process. Because it's easier to go, Yep, I'm in. I'm in Gethsemane and I'm ready to to bring my sword and die for you but I can't say yes to this continual process which is actually where the transformation takes place, not in me turning up full of bravado or ability. Um and and that's what it takes—that constant yes, yes, here when it, here when it's Sunday, here when it's Monday, here when it's 3 a.m. Yeah. Because I'm not just gonna go yes in a moment. Which is why why oftentimes when we have an altar call, it's like let's not have this emotional response because it's going to cost you more than this moment.
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: There's actually a, a surrender of your life that's required. That's right.
2: It's it's yes to the yoke, isn't it? Yeah. It's yes, it's yes to Christ. It's not just even yes to the things we can have in him or yeah. the things to come. It's it's just a yes to the yoke with you because I know that yes to you gives me peace. Yes to you is righteousness. Yes to you um is is joy. And yes to you means I can enter into war with peace. Whatever it looks and like. And become a peacemaker. It's like, it's with you. It's with the, yeah, the inexhaustible abundance beyond our comprehension, Christ, oh, yeah. that we are joined with and that we are fueled by and entering into with. And the picture of, you know, um, being uh, like using using the builder and the the king. Immediately, it was like the Spirit just quickened that thing of, like, you are now, by being yoked with me, with me pouring myself into you, the wealth of God's investment through his Son in us, it now makes us co-laborers yeah, as builders. True. It now makes us co-wears as yeah, kings. Because he, he calls us kings and priests. I mean, this is this is something that's beyond... The daily grind, beyond the natural and what we see. If, if we can comprehend that He calls us kings, that even Jesus said, uh, there's that scripture that says, don't you know, um, aren't, are you not gods? Now I know some people are going to like, don't say that, don't say that. But, but again, it's like, I'm not God because of me, yeah. the old. Yeah. I have the quality of Christ in me. Yeah. The divine nature, the divine essence, the inherent value of Christ. I am in the great I am. So yes, we are kings and priests. (laughs) Oh man. And we can function as kings and priests today. But it's all staked on the cross. And we can be co-laborers. It says the spirit in, um, Harmony, energized. We are energized by him to co-labor with him, Um, and being yoked it means that where we go, he goes. Where he goes, we go. Um. Mm.
0: But there's a transaction that has to take place. uh, You know, the like, and and I think that's saying that's what the the cross is. You know, it's it's letting go of you. You know. And and laying hold of who he has prophesied before creation ever was that you would be, you know, and so it's a massive calling, eh, for for all of us um, as as the body.
2: And we're absolutely, completely supplied. We have the full potential for this to be actualized today, only because of Christ. It's not a dreamy idea, and it's not a far away. These aren't windy words. This is substance. Right. Yeah.
0: Do we have any questions? Um, anything that people have been been sitting on, or things that haven't made sense, or things that you'd like clarity on? Kirk's got a microphone.
3: mean is that I, I first heard this through Chuck Misler, and it best summed it up. He said, "God wants to be one on a list of one. and it's just that that you're invited to <coughs> excuse me <coughs> uh, live a God-ordered life, and that it's like when God says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness." And all these things will be added to you. He's promising that when you live a God-ordered life, life will fall into order. And I think someone said that a week before last, that when God orders your life,
0: your life is in
3: order. Mm.
0: That's awesome, Tess, and I think, you know, I think that helps to bring clarity to when Jesus says, if you don't hate, you know, your mother, your father, your brother, you cannot be my disciple. You know, he's talking, they say, um, that God is number one on a list of one, you know, <laughs> like to me that that's what he's saying, you know, he's, and, and the reason why the word is so intense is because he's not, he's not saying God wife, you know, he's saying God, you know, so that, you know, So that these other relationships, when when God is at the centre of your being, don't have the ability to pull and to push and to influence you away from what it is that He's calling us as His body into. eh? You know, Um, I almost just see it as like the the comparison between um, the influence that you know know, you're saying um, um, it's, it's a completely different scale to think of when you were talking about hate, it's a difference between my family, my son and my wife and my chickens, you know? It's like he's saying hate is like it's it's a it's a dividing line. It's 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 not a ranking order. It's it's actually a complete distinction between actually my chickens have absolutely no ability to change my mood, any ability to change my priorities, any ability to change what I'm living for. They're a nice added bonus to my life because they give us some eggs. Well, not as many as they used to.
3: <laughs>
0: but, but that's what he's saying and I'm, I'm it's, uh, you know, it's a funny typology, but uh, it's, it's a real serious truth that if he is one on a list of one, yeah. then actually those other relationships don't have an unhealthy hold on us in that they take us away from who God says we are and what he's called us to. And in fact, we're separated from them so that we can love them and care for them and nurture them, but not so that they take away from us. They add to, they don't take away from, because we're free from them. We're free ultimately from ourselves to be able to serve him and live for him. eh? So thanks, Tess. That's awesome. Russell. Russell.
4: Yeah, thanks, um, guys. I, I Just a couple of points. I'm sort of thinking. First one is, um, I think you've done an excellent job this morning. I, yeah, congratulations, you guys, because good godly wisdom that is coming through, and uh, just appreciate that. Um, my thoughts were around the word compromise, and we we know in the Old Testament there's a whole lot of things don't compromise, don't compromise, and we know also in in James it talks about a double-minded person um, you know sort of two minds about everything you, you, you're in both camps one side here and one side there and I think in James also it says um, a person in that state should not expect anything from the Lord so it's quite clear he says if you're in two minds about anything if you're double-minded you know wanting to be in both sides of the camp, um, you won't receive any kind of blessing from the Lord. <laughs> it's just contaminated, isn't it? Um, you're neither one or the other. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, guys.
1: That's good. Um, I, I like that in the, um, in the passage that we were reading out, it says, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And I talked earlier about Christ being the forerunner. But I just um you know on that that compromise thing you know that's a there's an unequivocal bear your cross and follow me and you know when when I said before whatever that looks like you know bearing your cross empowers the whatever that looks like when when you see that and you go i I don't have it defined but I'll go where you're leading because you're there and you know I was just thinking about um About Peter, after Christ has, uh, risen from the dead and he says, uh, when you were young, you did this, you went where you wanted to, where you wanted to go, but when you're older, someone's gonna gird you up and lead you where you don't wanna go. And Peter, bless him, straight away goes, what about this guy? And points to him because he's looking for the opposite of the whatever. He's looking for some sort of unity or some sort of a thing where Are we in the same boat? And Christ's like, what's it got to do with you? What he's up to? Because I'm calling you. And I just wanted to, to put that out there for the whatever it looks like, the unconditional yes that goes, Lord, I'm in. I don't know what it looks like and I haven't got it worked out because I'm, because I'm still in this process. But yes. And and I feel like that's the the no compromise bit where we go, I I don't have the capacity to walk this out, but you have the capacity. You've got the money to finish this building project. (laughs) So, you know, and it's a heavenly resource, right? And I'm going to see it
0: as like, you've only got, you've only got one life and one opportunity, you know, and it's like, as I say, you turn up to a restaurant and you've got $25 and you want pepperoni, and you want, um, I don't know, what's another pizza? (laughs) You want pepperoni and Bollywood chicken, you know? (laughs) And you've only got $25, and you have to decide which one you want, but you can't decide, so you go to the waiter and say, I'll have one of each, but I've only got $25. You can't make a transaction with that kind of attitude, you know? You have to decide, are you Bollywood or are you pepperoni? <laughs> and, and because your, your indecision means that there's actually no transaction that can take place between you and the restaurant, you can't partake of the world. Like to me, this is the, this is the devastating nature of so much of, of Modern day church cultures, we want both, you know. We want to have our foot in living for the world and the flesh and everything that it offers, but we also want to live for God. And so we're stuck. We can't enjoy the passing pleasures of sin for a time like it says in Hebrews, but we also aren't experiencing the eternal abundant life of God because we're, we're trying to straddle between two worlds and we're not satisfied with both. But you've got to actually make a decision are you for or against you know because he says you know if um if you're lukewarm, you'll be spit out of his mouth what, what is he saying you're not going to. You know, see the, the double minded person receives nothing from the Lord, and so I think this is this is what he's he's pressing on us and saying guys the my my eternal word declares something." It declares who you were from the foundations of the world. Do you want to be who I've called you to be? Because you can't be that and who you were born into in Adam. You've got to let go of one and lay hold of. It's either one or the other. It's death or life. It's gather or scatter. It's is life or death, you know? And so he's saying, choose. What 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 will you choose? Are you Prepared to enter into, not just, choose, to choose me and enter into this process daily, or are you prepared to, to keep living for you? And you'll, res- it's okay, but you, you just won't experience the, the, the full overflowing abundant life, hey? Right.
2: Sam, I've got a question. Yeah. Um, and I think you maybe have, have spoken a little bit to it already, but, what does it mean to, for us to count the cost? Like thinking about it in, in the prospects of before you build a house or before you go to war, it's easy to see where you need to do that. Um, but often, I feel like with the Lord, He asks you something before you really know what you're getting into. Um, so, so how do we? Know, how? What does that look like to count the cost?
0: Great question. To me, I think like the, I think like we talked about. It's counting the cost, but it's also seeing who he's called us to be. You know, and so we're talking. The the theme of this session is being conformed to his image. So the, the the like God Himself declares who it is that he that he is, and who it is that he's called us to be. And so, to me, like. Ultimately, counting the cost looks like he said that this is who we are and his cross has, um, you know, his cross from before creation has said this is who you are. And so in a real practical sense, it means that anything in our hearts and in our minds that's not aligned to how he sees us and who's called us to be needs to go. You know, it's, to me, this is repentance. It's, it's, it means that if there's attitudes, if there's mindsets, if um, you know, it, it means that when we're confronted with a situation and these things rise, maybe we see them in ourselves, it means that we're quick to repent, we're quick to say, God, you've you've said that this is who I am, I'm not going to live in this anymore, you know, and his word comes and it cuts and divides and through revelation we receive in us a new substance of life, it's Christ himself. So, to me, it looks like repentance from who it is that we were and entering in through revelation to who he says that we truly are. Does that answer your questions?
2: Yeah, it, really it does. does. And I just want to use an example of, um, for instance, like counting, counting the clock, the cost but sort of knowing the value out of a place of love, again, that, that being yoked. You know, like when, when Kirk proposed and I said yes to marriage... I don't I didn't know what was going to be ahead for us. But what I was saying yes to is I am saying yes to yielding and I'm saying yes to now being adaptable with you. And <clears throat> that comes at a cost, but it comes at as a cost to the old Melissa Mersham, the old name. It it comes to a it's a, a leaving and cleaving and a, a yielding and a adaptability and then as you enter into this yoked life, the cost actually starts becoming not really a cost anymore. And you, you sort of, it says leave your, you know, if you can leave your possessions. And it's sort of like, man, I, I am someone's special possession. He calls us his special possession. So we don't, in comparison again, the possessions actually hold no value compared to the value of Christ that I hold um, you know again in the, the gospel and discipleship doesn't call us to poverty as such but Christ would say for you not to know who you are the true self, the Christ self is to live in poverty yep. so again this yielded life where we become adaptable to the new way of seeing and hearing and functioning as he is uh, words, things in our lives, all take a complete new meaning. Yep. Possessions, we don't even know what those really are anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's um, it, it affects us in every way. Um, so yeah, it's the yielding the adapt- adaptability.
0: That's awesome. All right. Well, I think we're at, we're at time, but if if others have questions or want to dialogue about anything we, we'll be we'll be around this morning tonight um, so feel free just to come up and we can we can talk more um, so Chris you want to just pray for us and we'll and we'll finish up.
1: Awesome. Oh Father God thank you so much for this morning and thank you that though you have presented us with something that could be potentially heavy Father you've always uh, increased our sight and our vision and always made a way and so God we thank you for the promise We thank you for what it is that you are calling us into. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that empowers this transformation, who comes to reveal the Christ in us. Um, And we just thank you, God, that you are so wonderful, so amazing, so big and so abundant, God. And we thank you that while we talked about what it is that we are laying down, what we really talked about is what it looks like when we lose our life for your sake to gain true life. And so, Father, I just pray that you would solidify this word in every heart this morning and continue to water that which you have planted, Father. Amen.
0: Amen. All right. Thanks, Tim.